Hey, Brian. Hey, Chris. What do you call a guy who challenges his fans to draw me as My Little Pony? Uh, I don't know. What do you call a man that challenges fans to draw you as My Little Pony? Well, you don't call him anything because you'll never find all the pieces of his body. Uh-oh. Uh, well, maybe maybe we should just uh, give Richard the week off then. Yeah, you think? Witness protection. You know what you don't get a lot of in witness protection? What's that? Beer. Ooh, beer. Beer. Snappy dialogue, puns galore. Me, Brian, him, Chris, witty banter. Fire bad? Fire bad. <laughs> Girls good. And That's it. And, I, and whiskey. And whiskey, yeah. Whiskey I've, good. I've run out of steam. We did do a shot of what I call funny juice before we got started, mm-hmm. and clearly it is working like gangbusters. He doesn't have the juice. He can't give the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> also, an alternate title for this show is Funny Juice Reviews. Uh, anyway, this is Digital Noise, of course. We're going to review some Blu-rays and DVDs. I am Brian. He is Chris. That is the lineup you have this week, so fucking deal with it. Yeah, all you Chris complainers, shut up. I don't think we have any Chris complainers. I'm sure they're out there somewhere. Oh, uh, well, if if I find any of them, I'll let you know. Ban. Ban. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wield the ban hammer. Hey, it's, uh, we're on iTunes, by the way, just so you know. You can get more of this winning, cutting-edge hilarity on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, by the way, Stitcher's been tweeting our stuff a lot, which I find really cool. What, the company Stitch, Stitcher's yeah, Twitter? Yeah, they're actually, uh, their Twitter account, like, every time we post something, like today we put up uh, a brand new diecast. It's back, guys. Uh, we put up that, and they, they tweeted out, like, hey, one of us, diecast, blah, blah, blah. And they've been doing that for, they did it for the latest Theog, they did it for the last Digital Noise. Huh. Just very randomly. Somebody at Stitcher must be a fan. Yeah, and I like that. Yeah, it works for me. I like that very much. So you can find us either on iTunes or on Stitcher. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash oneofusnet. You can follow this show on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast. You can also follow the website on Twitter at oneofusnet. And hey, why don't you consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net? Seriously, why don't you do that? Why don't you consider doing that? I'm sitting outside your window right now staring at you mournfully because you haven't done it yet. We have got so much good stuff to, uh, I will... Seriously, put some pants on, though. Yeah, yeah, honestly. I will let you guys know that I've been in a a state of flux because as soon as we got back from Comic-Con, I uh, had to get a house and move into it, so I've been sort of... Out of the loop a little bit, but now that that's all done, we are going to be doing more commentaries, more subscriber-exclusive content. In fact, I'm going to drop, uh, before the week is over, I will drop the entire recording of our Festivus uh, oh, broadcast yeah. from Got the it. Guzu Gallery. Forgot all about that. Yeah, it's been, this is the kind of, what, three months, summer. This is the kind of summer we've been having. Yeah, so. it's been crazy for both of us ever since summer, yeah. pretty much, and <laughs> pretty just much. getting crazier. But that's calming down, and you guys are going to get a, a, a wellspring of subscriber-exclusive content. So definitely click on that link on the sidebar and figure out how you can become part of the inner sanctum of the us. True. I should have gone into radio. Like, old school. Get, wait, do they still make 30s-era uh, radio broadcasts? Um, no, because it's not the 30s. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because I could have sold laudanum tablets like you wouldn't believe. Maybe in the 2030s you can 
Start it all over. Buy war bonds. Uh, Defeat you know, alien Hitler with us. Before we get started, I want to say like 80 people have, have challenged me and you to do the ice bucket challenge. Oh my god, yeah, they and have. Let me just say this. I don't have any money to donate. I, mean, I really <laughs> don't. I mean, I'm not saying that. People are like, oh, you can give five bucks. No, I couldn't. No, see. It's but, nothing. I don't, you know, Lou Gehrig's disease is a terrible thing. I'm not saying it's not, you know, poor Lou Gehrig. And I found out, yeah. Been suffering for what, a hundred years? That's now? what I found out recently is that it affects more than just Lou Gehrig. Are you serious? Yeah, which just seems like a really, uh. All right, I'm going to empty out my piggy bank then. Inappropriately named disease. But, you know, like, I've seen a lot of people doing a lot of things. Grant's, did you see Grant's thing up? Yeah, with the stolen kidney, that was great. That guy is just like, like, determined to own Reddit. Yeah, he's the viral video king. But, um, you know, I gotta say this, like, it's not just donate whatever you want. Every challenge I've gotten is you have 24. It's like, it's like I'm getting called from, uh, by Simon from Die Hard with a Vengeance. Like, you have 24 hours to do this or I will blow you up and you must donate a hundred dollars. It's like, now there's like a ticking clock element. Yeah. What is this, nick of time? I Fuck off. No idea there was a ticking clock part of this. But either way, literally, I could pour ice on myself, but it wouldn't help anyone except for people who want to see me pour ice on myself. That so. being said, I did issue a challenge on the sports show that if anyone bought me a Bane mask, that I would go to the Alamo Draft House and do the ice bucket challenge as Bane. Uh, and since then, there has been in a Bane mask on my Amazon wish list, guys. I'm just saying, balls in your court. Um, you know who's the king of the ice bucket cha- challenge? Who? Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. I thought you were going to say Jack from Titanic. He was doing but, that know. shit before it was cool. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Well, I, it's... Did, I did see an image of the Titanic with, like, somebody had a picture of that. It's <laughs> like, oh, bucket. I'm about to give 20,000 people the ice bucket challenge, bitches. The way I'm going to start doing ice bucket challenges, I'm going to buy a bucket of Smirnoff ice, and I'm just going to start leaving them on people's doorsteps and being like, ice bucket, bitch, and just walking away. They should have that at the Alamo as a thing with, like, some sort of ice beer. It's like, drink all six. Get one of them for free. Oh, there is a there's a filmmaker named Ant Timpson who uh, comes to Fantastic Fest a lot, and he does. I don't know. I didn't know the Alamo still had Smirnoff ice, but yeah. he finds it and he ices people. He just walks up to their table and boom, sits a bucket down and walks away. You have to drink it. That's when you get iced, you have to drink I'm that. I'm not sure that I would have to drink that. Sorry, I'm the Marty McFly of alcoholics, man. I don't know that. I don't guy, want him so. to think I'm chicken. What I have are you, to do it. Chicken. When did you call me? Technically, that didn't happen until the second movie, so you can take or leave it if you want. No, no, it's part of canon, man. I'm uh, sorry. Nah, Just nah. like the if the hoverboard is canon, the chicken thing is canon. Yeah, you're right. What show are we doing again? I can't remember. Digital Noise! And that's why it's time to reach out to the Innisfere and receive transmissions from you, the listener. It's the part of the show where we crack open the most questionable coffers we call... The Letter Box. You've got mail. Thank you, Torgo, the letterbox. Indeed. And we have some good questions this week. This first one from Michael Ishmael McCall, or McCall him Ishmael. Uh, what is the best and worst film that you saw this summer? Christopher Lawrence Cox. I mean, it's still, it's, you know, really hard to nail down yet the best film. And I'll tell you right now, usually my best film happens in the Oscar season. Usually there's one of them that makes you go, oh shit, that's it. You know, the summer movies were fun and all, but... That's the movie that, that moved me. But, I mean, this year it's kind of between four, and I can't say which Whoa. one I like better. So which of the Fantastic Four movies from the summer were your favorite? Uh, one wasn't even summer. was The Raid 2. Still, okay. Yeah. So we're we just completely blowing off the parameters of this question. Uh, uh, Chef, which is the beginning of the summer. Uh, Cap 2, of course, mm-hmm. Winter Soldier, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Although I do like Captain America 2 a little better than Guardians of the Galaxy, so maybe I, that should be. 
You jingoistic piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, I got to go with Guardians. It's the only movie I saw multiple times this summer in the theater, so I think by de facto it wins out in that regard. I and think, as far as worse, I think you I and think I... we can agree what it is. Yeah. Without, I was actually just going through all the film releases this year, and I just kept saying, nope, not as bad as Transformers 4. Nope, not as bad as Transformers 4. Nope, not... You know what? It's Transformers 4. And for me, a close second is the other movie Michael Bay had his hands on this summer. Teenage which is, Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. So it's like, good job, Michael Bay. You're still the worst ever. I didn't even hate that anywhere near as much as I hated Transformers oh, no. 4. No, 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 no. There were other movies for me that would come between those two, but Transformers 4 had a special level of hell built just for it. Now they have the new Dante director's cut, uh, you know, so you can see the oh. new level of the Inferno where they just show Transformers 4 <laughs> all the time throughout eternity, which is to say they just play it once. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and it and just it's... never ends. <laughs> is it still going? I think it's we're still in the theater now. We're We've, like... Like, retreated into our own minds to oh, escape it. That makes a lot of sense. What are these microphones doing here, then? Don't worry about it. Okay. Well, our next question comes from Ethan Teal, who says, Hey, dudes. Hey, dude. Dude. I'm heading out to college. Good for you. Aside from the obvious Animal House Revenge of the Nerds, what are some of your favorite movies about college? Um, like, I mean, it's really kind of of the two kinds, the drama kind, the more dramatic kind, and the more comedic kind. For comedy, it's real genius. So mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Val Kilmer when he was skinny and clever and not like an asshole. Uh, <laughs> Before and, he ate another Val Kilmer. And the drama side is Goodwill Hunting. I know people like to talk shit about that movie, but I think that movie's fucking fantastic. I love the shit out of Goodwill Hunting. Just watched it again not that long ago and went, sorry, man. Like, it became cool to hate Goodwill Hunting for some reason, like two or three years after it came out. I was like, what? Everybody loved that movie. What are you talking about? And I think it was a lot of the lashback at, at Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, like they were just overexposed. You know what, though? What? It's not their fault. Really? It's not their fault. No. It's not their fault, man. Okay. Not you, too. Don't you do this to me. <laughs> it's funny, too, that you put that on the list, because it's like Will Hunting is the only like main character in that movie who isn't in college. Right. Everybody true. else around him is, is going to like prestigious Ivy all. league schools. And he's, he's smarter smart. than all of them. That is, that is the, the juxtaposition. Maybe that's <gasps> why I like it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I was going to say honorary mention. I know neither one of these are on your list. Oh, They're okay. Really minor. One is uh frat house, which was a Todd Phillips film. That was like one of the first movies he made for HBO really? or HBO undercover that was never aired because the families of all the people at these frat houses were like, we're going to sue the pants off you HBO if you air this but it's been available on tape trading forever and it's this undercover documentary of like what it's like to get hazed and join a frat and it's fucking shocking as yeah, hell I've seen the porn site version <laughs> and then the other is a movie called Fraternity Party which was kind of a Revenge of the Nerds rip off type thing but that was that starred Evil Ernie from uh, 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 Fright Night Evil Ed Evil Ed sorry that uh, guy's name I used to know this off the top of my head is not coming to me, so never mind. But anyway, he, he ended up doing gay porn. It's a great little... Stephen Jeffries! Sorry, uh, go ahead. Great little underseen party movie from the, the 80s uh, that was lost in a, you know, a wash of tons of other similar ones. It was really funny. I'm proud to say I loaned it to Kayla and she thought it was wonderful. Aww. <laughs> See? Now that's just a nice story. That's just a nice wrap-up. What were we talking about? College movies. Oh, Dead Man on Campus is one of my all-time favorite college movies. And I remember I saw that movie when I was in high school and hoped against hope that that's what college was actually like, where I could be friends with Tom Everett Scott, at the time the biggest star on the planet, and, of course, uh, Mark Paul Gossler from uh, Saved by the Bell. 
And if it's going to be that kind of digital noise, I'm going to need some more whiskey. Well, you know what? It's a really funny movie. I think it gets, you know, it kind of gets lumped in with a lot of bad 90s cinema, but I think it is actually really funny. And one of the early film roles for Jason Siegel, who plays like their roided out, completely intense uh, roommate at the beginning of the movie. Oh, uh, this is before all that, that muscle turned to sag. Yes, exactly. Okay, exactly. Enough. Turned to funny. I, uh, I meant Screen Actors Guild. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I always, I, I think that movie, and it's about a guy who comes to med school, to, he legitimately wants to be a doctor, but then he randomly gets paired up with a roommate that just likes to party all the time, and then his grades go down the toilet, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's the most realistic portrayal of a college situation I've ever seen. Yeah, I was the guy who was making other people party. For no, I I have no doubt. That was totally my my job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's why we work so well is because I was the Tom Everett Scott. It's like, I'm going to get straight A's and what is beer? Woo, look, gone. That was the best job I ever had. I mean, like, Satan has, like, full, like, health insurance and 401k <laughs> and all this stuff. So, I mean, there's a bare minimum of people you have to turn to, like, away from their life. Right. Like, you, their destiny per month. Yeah, uh, you have a Faustian quota. I understand yeah, exactly. how it works. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, thanks for your questions, guys. We're going to slam the lid shut on the letterbox for another week, give it back to Torgo to stuff under Chris's bed, and dive into the reviews. And reminding you yet again, every movie we talk about will have its own little image at the bottom of the post. If you click on that image, it takes you to Amazon. Even if you don't buy that particular item, just getting to Amazon via that link, anything you buy will actually benefit the site. So please, 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 please keep doing that. We appreciate it. You better. And we're going to start with The Amazing Spider-Meh 2. Spider-Meh. The Amazing Spider-Meh. <laughs> but not as meh as The Amazing Spider-Meh 1. Yeah, it's like on the spectrum on the spectrum of good and bad, this is slightly more in the good direction than the first one, and yet still they're both right in the middle of that spectrum. I'm still kind of baffled by all the people who are like, oh, are you kidding me? The first one's much better than any of the Sam Raimi films, and I'm like... I'm sorry. No. You're it's really not. It's not. It's really not. Like I don't know why there's a certain amount of look back at the Raimi films with people thinking they're not good. Well, I think I it's the first two at the very least are wonderful. I I think the problem is that people looked at the Raimi films and said, I like Peter Parker, but I wish he had Asperger's. That would really make him more relatable to me. I mean, the only problem with the, with the original run is that they didn't spend enough. They should have gotten punch-up people to make Spider-Man funnier. That's really my only real problem with those first two films. And I like the third film. Fuck everybody. You know, yeah, it's the weakest of the three, but fuck you. I still like it. I like it better than The Amazing Spider-Man 1, and I like it better than The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is, by the way, the movie we're reviewing. Well, how did we get all this gauntlet on the floor? Did you throw this down? <laughs> I did. Um, now, that being said, Spider-Man 2 does get a lot of things right that the first one didn't. Uh, it pulls away from him being such a little prick the way he was in the first one. Ooh, ooh, and he keeps his fucking mask on this time. He keeps his mask on. God, that drove me nuts. Time. It actually does. Okay, now there's a spoiler moment here. Those, spoiler. If you're like the one guy in the world who hasn't already had this spoiled for you seeing the movie, like the death of Gwen Stacy, they actually get pretty much right. I mean, as somebody who was always scared of them doing it in the movies, who counts it as one of the highest, most dramatic points in comics history, who actually cried the first time they read that fucking comic book, I can tell you, I honestly, I, and so did most of the other old school Spider-Man fa fans I know, were like, yeah, gotta hand it to you. They thoroughly fucked up Electro, but they actually did Gwen Stacy. Oh, come on. You didn't like the Eels? The, 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 the 90s supergroup, the Eels, Look, fighting... By Oscar saying, winner Jamie Foxx into a uh, dubstep overlord. By saying they fucked up Electro, I don't mean, oh, they should have had the guy with the green outfit and the yellow bolt mask. No, that's not what I mean. That is the color of his birthday cake, though, if you uh, watch the movie uh, again. Is, uh, yes, it is. I mean, 
it just doesn't work because they build this character who is just a big exaggeration anyway, but then completely abandon almost everything about him for the convenience of the plot and just turn him into this generic hulking monster guy. Well, yeah, so generic, in fact, that his origin story is just Jim Carrey's Riddler origin story yeah. from Batman Forever. In it's fact, the exact same fucking story. He would have been more interesting if we didn't know anything about him and he had come out of nowhere. Yeah. If he was a complete mystery. It would have been ten times as interesting, because then, then we'd be like, whoa, what is this guy? If he had been played by Skrillex, <laughs> that would have been I better. I don't know who Skrillex is. Skrillex is a dubstep artist, because for some reason, when you gain electric powers, every time you walk, it's like... It's one of those singers who's like, and I, I'm Spider-Man. Yeah, Kill pretty much. Spider-Man. I don't, I don't know why Bismarcky is, is Electro, but yeah, that's that's pretty much Who's Bismarcky? <laughs> God damn it, Chris. I don't know. All of my references just sailing over Chris's head today. Um, as well, I think the relationship between Dane DeHaan and uh, who plays Harry Osborn and Andrew Garfield as, as Peter Parker is really, they're really pushing it in a way that feels like, come on, come on, let's hurry this up. We got to get to where we need to go. Oh, he's, go. he's a go. terrible Harry Osborn. And oh. Dane DeHaan is a great actor. He's been great in comic book type movies before, but for some reason, his, his Harry Osborn is just like, what the, why are you such a, like, ugh, like you're awful. You are just a character that nobody can identify with, that nobody can find any sympathy for whatsoever. Yeah. Harry should be tragic when he yes. is with the turn, and there's nothing about him. They never give you a chance to like him at all yeah. in this movie. I think that the, the way he was written and the way that Dane DeHaan chose to play him were both big mistakes. Uh, I mean, there's other stuff in here, like Paul Giamatti as the rhino is completely hey, disposable in here. I'm the rhino. You know, this does more ba- more stuff wrong than it does right, but the simple fact that it does do some stuff really right gives me gives it some extra points. I mean, I will say Electro looks cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. I mean, he, he looks a little bit like one of the architects from Prometheus, but yeah, other sure. than that, uh, uh, yeah, no. But here, here's my big problem with Amazing Spider-Man Two, and it's it's a character thing. And I know I'm not, you know, real well versed with the comics, but I do know that what they've set up even in the movies here is that uh, Peter Parker is a science whiz, and he has to be because he builds his own web shooters. Uh, you know, he's he's the kind of guy that wins awards. Like he is the science nerd. And yet at one point in the movie, Gwen Stacy has to teach him how magnets work. Yeah. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah. And every interaction between him and Gwen Stacy is exactly like there's that vulture in the in the Looney Tunes. It's just like, no, 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 no. Well, that's the thing. That's like, him. When they get to the last act, which actually works more than it doesn't, the, the Gwen Stacy stuff starts working. But early on, they're doing this push-me-pull-you with their relationship that's not there for any reason except to have tension in their relationship. It's like there's no good reason for them to have tension right now. There's none at all. It did it because the plot required it. And you're just like, oh, come on, man. Just like, we know where this is going. Let's just, like, get past all the stuff that's there to stre- stretch it out so you can spend way too much time on Jamie Foxx turning into Electro. You know, ah, there's just, it's such a mess in so many ways, but it does. So you're saying you wish this movie was more Electrolite? Yes, I do. I see what you did there. Ah, drink your Gatorade. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, there's a really interesting thing on this Blu-ray, though, that actually took me by surprise. And it's in the deleted scenes, of which are actually pretty interesting. There's some cool stuff in the deleted scenes. But the big one is a whole different alternate ending where 
Peter's dad is still alive. What? And he meets him in the great, you know, you know that scene at the end where he's just standing by Gwen Stacy's grave and they keep showing the seasons go by as he keeps going back. Yeah. Well, it's like that point where it's winter and his dad shows up and is like, look, I, yeah, I am still alive. I did survive. Uh, you know, your mom didn't live, but I made it. And she made sure, like, she was like, look, there'll be a time when hiding from, uh, you know, Harry uh, from Norman Osborne is and to protect the rest of the family, you're going to have to go help Peter regardless of that. You know, right. you're going to have to figure out when that time is, and that time is now. And it seemed like this real. I mean, it's when you watch it, it's like, wow, this is an incredibly touching scene. Like Garfield wow. is incredibly powerful in it. What? It's just like, I mean, it's hard not to get a little bit like verklempt watching it. You're like, well, then oh why the hell God. is it in the movie? Because they kept testing it for audiences who felt like it came as kind of a deus ex machina, uh, as like with him, his way to recover from Gwen Stacy's death being this character that comes out of nowhere all of a sudden like that. Now, in the movie, the final version, they took most of his dialogue and basically gave it to Aunt May and audiences like that better because it's like, okay, you it kind of makes more sense. It feels more organic. And I understand the point. But that being said, I love the idea of this alternate Spider-Man universe where his dad is still alive and that's going to lead into whatever happens in the next movie. I was like, man, it was such a good scene. It's such a nice little shock. I'm like, okay, it's worth seeing this, like getting this Blu-ray just to watch that alone, quite frankly. And there's director commentary on it and stuff. Uh, but there's a lot of extra stuff, little bits and pieces that are, that, that make that worth it. There's a, uh, a making, uh, like, you know, Jesus, it's like an hour and 43 minute making of Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, thing out here, which is like, wow, that's, uh, not as long as the movie, but still pretty fucking long. Huh. Special on the music of it, uh, uh, and then a regular audio commentary with the writers. As a, as a Blu-ray package, it's a pretty good one. I would say, um, I mean, de- at least worth running on Blu-ray to see that deleted scene. No question. Yeah. I just, you know, it's one of those, I'm going to keep it. I'll go back and watch it again because there's enough here that I do like that. I don't think this is anywhere near like, you know, anywhere near the bottom of the barrel for modern superhero movies. There's been so many ones much worse than this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but its biggest disappointment is just that Spider-Man to me is still the greatest superhero and they're still not doing it right. He is the greatest American hero. And yet somehow they have managed to fuck that up for two movies straight. They have. Hopefully. Arguably three. Honestly, here's, here's my thing. I really hope, and I don't, I'm not wishing somebody loses their job, but I will say I hope they get a different director for the next one. I, I know, I think they're he's, not. I know that, I know that he's currently in place. But then Edgar Wright was really firmly in place for Ant-Man, too. Uh, so. If I'm not mistaken, Alex Kurtzman, who is the writer of this one, is going to be directing the Sinister Six movie. Is that I think, right? I yeah. think that's true. I can't remember. But I, I know that he was supposed to be directing Daredevil, the television series, and he left it because he was offered the Sinister Six. Wow. Yeah, which is actually coming out before Amazing Spider-Man 3, strangely enough, which is still like four years from now or something. Blink, 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 head explodes. I don't even know what to do with that. That's, yeah. that's really bizarre. That's your information blast for the day, children. Anyway, moving on from Amazing Spider-Meh Part 2, we are going to talk about filth. We're going to just have this really raunchy discussion about pure filth. Filth, filth, flam, filth, filth. <laughs> you cannot say the filth, flarn, flarn, filth, filth in front of people. 
I wish Martin was here. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a film based on Irvin Welsh's novel uh, of the same name. Irvin Welsh, if you don't know, is the guy who wrote Train Spotting. So you that's know, a movie I've heard of. So you know it's Scottish, and you know <laughs> that there's a lot of drugs, and you know there's a lot of cursing and the sex. deuce you say. And this is not as good as Train Spotting. I've never seen it. Riz, you never seen Train Spotting? Nope. Brian, no. Brian, giant I've, hole I've, in your cinema. History. I've never done enough drugs to. You don't need drugs to watch Train Spotting. That's not what you said the last time. I was just trying to sell you some drugs. Yeah. Okay. See, now I know how you work. Uh, but this one stars James McAvoy, who I love. I think he's one of the great young actors today. As Bruce Robertson, who is a detective sergeant in Edinburgh. Who That's is a, in Scotland. Who is a piece of shit of a human <laughs> being if there ever was one. I mean, okay, look, let me just sum this up here. This is bad lieutenant crossed with train spotting is what it is. Like, if you take Bad Lieutenant, like the original, I still haven't seen the Nicolas Cage uh, Port of oh, New dude. Orleans yet. Really? Yeah, it's, it's so much we, fun. I feel bad, too, because a fan sent me the Blu-ray. You have to watch it, and I still haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Um, he's, like, going over, like, abusing people and, like, like getting free sex and alcohol and drugs and just, like, he's he's got this whole thing where, like, his wife, who he keeps we keep seeing in these weird dreamlike fantasy sequences kind of weirdly noir weird fourth wall breaking empirically noirish yeah. uh, uh who's like oh I'll I love him I love him but I'm not going to give him the time of day unless he gets this promotion and he knows it so he sets about not only you know enforcing his his rule and and uh, indulging his vices but also completely fucking over everyone he works with in these very elaborate machiavellian machinations to make himself the prime candidate for this promotion. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got these... We go through... I mean, a lot of it is him talking directly to the audience as he's detailing why he's got to take down each one of these people, what their chances are of actually getting the position. And you got people like Jamie Bell is one of the people he works with. Uh, uh, Imogen Poots. <laughs> always makes me adorable. laugh. Adorable. Her name adorable. is as adorable as she is. Yeah. Um, Jim Broadbent has a fun role in here uh, when he's an hallucinatory character. The rest mm-hmm. of the time, he's the most probably grounded person in the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Marsan plays his best friend, who is a complete nebbish, who, like, he's just completely taking advantage of. Yeah. I mean, the point of, like, he's regularly, like, sex calling his wife, like, prank sex sex calling her by the way if his wife looks or sounds familiar it's because she played moaning myrtle in the harry potter films yeah i know it was freaking me out i had to stop the movie to look it up i'm not gonna like, say i never thought about fucking moaning myrtle but uh, yeah now but uh this movie sure opens up some weird avenues in my brain chasm you know i i think that my problem with filth is that as it's so hard to get off the dy- rug. as dynamic as it is in many ways it almost seems like it's too self-consciously dynamic. It's too self-consciously, look at us. We're being all druggy and hallucinatory. And look how much, look what a bad guy he is. But aren't you having fun and like him anyway? It feels like it's trying to do what Don Hemingway was trying to do. But not, But instead of doing it through actual just straight character scenes, they're feeling like they need to just shower you with filmmaker cleverness that isn't that clever, that actually feels a little... Dated. That may that may be why to me this seemed pedestrian for uh, a portion of its run, but once it got toward the end, I actually really started to feel for the guy. And well, I, no, I, me too. And and that is in you know that is wholly due to uh, McAvoy's performance, absolutely, because he really does own this role, and he 
pushes it to every extreme possible in the moments where he is uh, the most despicable. He is a true scoundrel. And in those moments where he finds the humanity of the character, it is really shocking. And I got to say, I did not see the twist coming. No. At all. Um, I, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know it was that. But yeah. something well, sure. in that arena was wrong. Yeah. Um, now, like I said, that's what I what I listed about it. That's what I didn't like about it. And I think that's what hurts this from being a classic, really. Because there's a lot of good stuff, really good stuff in this. But it's held together 100% by James McAvoy's performance, which is powerful and compelling and disturbing and finally just heartrending. I mean, this guy is such an absolute prick throughout this movie that the fact that by the end you actually do really feel for him is a work of a, a theatrical master yeah. to pull it off. And and the, I, I think the story construction is also quite strong in that it, it gives you a, a series of scenarios, a range of circumstances where you can completely understand how a regular decent person could become this version of James McAvoy if all these things had happened to them. So I think it's I think that's what keeps it from feeling uh schmaltzy is that it really does feel like it's uh, genuine and well earned. I feel like it's it would have been almost better served with a bit more subtlety in the way that it was made than what it had. It's so in your face throughout the entire film and not necessarily always in the best or most clever sort of way. It's more, it's not as clever as it thinks it is, as far as a directorial. There are literally, it literally hits you in the face with its dick a couple of times. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, you're like, okay, this is, I, if I was 14, I would have thought this was the greatest movie I'd ever seen. You know, assuming I hadn't seen A Clockwork Arm. Wait, you're not 14? Shush. And Train Spotting and any number of other films. But it's still a good movie. I mean, you got Clint Manziel doing the soundtrack. Come on. He's one of the greats. Always works with, uh, Darren Aronofsky. Um, great cast. It's well worth seeing for those who don't mind really disturbing, heavy duty sex, drugs, and violence type films. And it falls in line very well with sort of the, the Machiavellian dramas that are really popular right now on TV. So. Oh, that's true. If you're, if you're a big fan of things like, uh, Breaking Bad, if you're a big fan of things like House of Cards. In fact, since this, this is like the Scottish House of Cards, I guess you could call it House of Yards. Uh, so. I mean, it's with, nowhere near as subtle as No, this. no, it's not subtle at all, but then again, it doesn't have entire seasons to build up to. It's gotta, it's kinda get a get in and out as much as he does with his female counterparts. Which he does quite a bit. Indeed. Uh, but the Blu-ray comes with deleted, uh, um, about 23 minutes of deleted extended and alternate scenes, a commentary with the director and with the original author, Irvin Welsh, there's about seven and a half minutes of outtakes, which are actually pretty funny at points, but a lot of it's just like, oh, they the, they just said their line slightly wrong, and it's not that funny. But their accents are so thick, it's like, I don't understand what they just said. Uh, there's a thing called Mary Filthmas, which is just, yeah. which is just a, a, a behind the scenes when they were doing the police force Christmas that, party. That's what we should change our blue Christmas to. Mary Filthmas. Mary Filthmas. <laughs> uh, 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 there's a, a look that really specifically about James McAvoy as you know the main character, which I found the most interesting thing on this. So it's a good collection of extras building up the whole background of this thing. I just I wanted to like this so much more than I actually did. Is what it comes down to. Ah, I liked it just fine. Uh, I, then again, I think it's... You know, I will say it was weird that I watched this and then I finally did see X-Men Days of Future Past. And oh, good. Like, finally. right Jesus. after that, though. So it was like, in the op- you know, in the early scenes of uh, Days of Future Past, Professor X is, like, in this drunken stupor. He's a complete washed-out, you know, 
shell of what he used to be, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is actually quite appropriate, considering I just saw filth. <laughs> well, that was, in, in fact, filth, and we're going to move on to Boardwalk Empire Season 4. Oh, yeah. Under the Boardwalk. Okay, so here's the thing. I was so far behind on Boardwalk Empire. The, the only reason I'm able to review this right now is because we started switching where we get a week off once every three weeks, because during that time, I watched Boardwalk Empire Season 3 first. <laughs> and a then... week off every three weeks? What are we, the president? <laughs> hey oh, topical. Is Bush still running? I don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I finally got I got all the way through it. I'm all caught up. Wait, has the new season started yet? I don't think so. Mm. Um, and everybody was warning me. It's like, oh, yeah, season three, best season of the show. Season four, eh. And I was like, god damn it. Why are you telling me this right when I've got to watch them back to back? And while there's no question that season three is much more exciting than season four is, I mm-hmm. mean, it's a lot more violent. It's a lot more, like, its it, it stakes are a lot higher. Absolutely. Season four is a damn good season nonetheless. Yeah, and season four kind of allows uh, Chalky White's character to to rise to the same amount of prominence that uh, that Nucky's character does. And by that, I really mean narratively. Like, he gets the, as much of the spotlight. Like, the war in this season isn't really even about Nucky. Nucky is a uh, a passive participant in his own story at this point. Very true. Uh, but I liked that about it because I think Michael Kenneth Williams is fucking brilliant and they bring in Jeffrey Wright as this sort of... Oh, as the main season villain. The season villain, uh, Dr. Narcisse. And he does such an amazing job just like quietly... This super intellectual, yeah. very religious Sort guy. of a, a W.E.B. Dubois type he was character. Like using his position of power as sort of a leader of black men that that very much intimidates white people, but he has a lot of power and a lot of followers. Followers, he uses it when all this stuff when to wield his moral hammer. When ultimately he's just like Nucky or anybody else, he just wants to make money no matter how it takes. And in this case, like manipulating the heroin trade, right? Um, and trying to get in there and force uh, Chalky out of business. You know, if you saw the last season, you know, basically Chalky White said. You know, I'll help you, Nucky, but what are you going to do for me? I mean, you're at rock bottom. You, This has got to be big. He's like, look, I will build you a fucking, you know, hotel and and You'll have your own club. You'll yeah. have your own club. So time has passed, and now he's got his own club. Which, and the guy's like, no, I want that club. That's going to be mine. Yeah. And you're, he kind of is going through, uh, pretty much going through exactly what Nucky did last season. And that reversal is kind of what makes it interesting because we know that Nucky has fallen from grace in so many ways. Like, I mean, we've seen him go from a guy who really honestly was still a nice person who was getting involved with crime to being kind of a piece of shit. Right. Uh, and even early in the season after we, you know, we kind of learned his lesson the hard way at the end of last season, he's still, He's still kind of like doing dick, really dickish things to some people. We're like, oh, he didn't really learn. So when it comes to that point, we're like, is Nucky actually going to help Chalky here? Is he actually going to, you know, turn about his fair play here? Is he going to, is he going to karmic, uh, karmic him for what yeah. he did for him? That's a lot of the tension there is not knowing what's going to happen here. Yeah. And if you're a mafia nerd like I am, what I really liked about the season is how deeply they delve into the, Al Capone, uh, O'Banion conflict. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, if you don't know, is the reason for the St. Valentine's Day massacre, which I was a little disappointed they don't ever touch upon. Presumably that's going to be a big centerpiece for season five, which is the final season. Well, it, okay. I won't say why that doesn't work historically, but, uh, because it'll spoil something in the season. But I will say, like, the whole relationship between, and what's happening with Michael Shannon's character yeah. is so very interesting. Oh, yeah. 
And the way that that all wraps up in the very last season, the very last moment of this season, and when you realize uh, the pairing of characters that are, like, the last two people you see before the credits drop, oh, my God. That was, like, I, I stood up at Jared. I was like, that was really brilliant. Well, you're watching – we've watched uh, Michael Shannon go from, like, having all this power as a guy for the FBI mm. to falling from grace completely because of his own ego and like, getting caught up in it to becoming a very humble man and giving up on it all, working his way up. And now we're seeing a guy who's right, who is doing – he's becoming the same man that he was chasing. Exactly. And, and has turning – is the exact same shit is going on inside him that brought him to a fall before with the FBI. The only difference is that shit's pretty acceptable when you're doing it for a crime family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so bizarre to see him like working for a Banyan <laughs> and then working for Capone. And it's like, what the fuck is going on here? This is amazing. One of my favorite uh, aspects here was with Gretchen Maul, who plays, uh, uh, what's his name's mom? D- uh, Jimmy Normandy's Jim- mom. Yeah. Uh, who is now, she's just lost. Oh my God. So lost. Uh, and, Ron Livingston from Office Space comes in and sort of like rescues her. And there's this arc in that story that was that is one of the biggest gut punches I've had in this entire show. Absolutely. Like, holy shit. There's so much good stuff in the season. I'm just the only reason I can think people don't like it as much as three is just like I said, that you like you don't have that. You never reach that same level, especially with with Nucky, where you're like, what the fuck you going to do now? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And if nothing else, this is the season uh, that reminded us that Patricia Arquette is still alive. So yeah. there's at least that. Who is great in here as a Florida bootlegger yeah. uh, who forms... Bloody Mama. Called. She's a bloody mama yeah. is what she is. Who's st- exactly, like in any given Roger Corman film. Yeah. Uh, and, who starts to have this re- weird, re- you know, res- respect, respect relationship with Nucky, who's not used to dealing with women who are just as, you know, take no shit as he is. Yeah, absolutely. She is not timid at all. Nope. She is from Florida. Yeah, that might have something to do with that because she's, because she's crazy. She's crazy pants. She's crazy Cuckoo pants. bananas. That girl be crazy, yo. And I mean, I guess I understand what people are saying, uh, that it is not quite as good as season three, but I still really like this season. Really liked it. And it's building up, obviously, to some stuff I'm sure it's going to be pretty awesome in season five. And we haven't even touched upon, I'll just say this really briefly, but like... Uh, Nucky's servant, who's been with him since the beginning of the oh, show, yeah. and his arc and what they do with that character in this season is really, really emotionally effective. Oh, completely. I mean, I, I think a lot of the characters in here get a really good run. Um, some more than others. Some kind of get pushed to the background in this season. But this also had some of the saddest character deaths I've been with with anybody in any of the seasons, like yeah. multiple ones where I'm like, no, not them. My dad, uh, my my dad's in town, and he was saying, he's like, man, I really didn't like the season. They keep killing off all my favorite characters, and I said, Dad, have you watched Game of Thrones? And he goes, no, and I'm like, don't. You get used to it real fast. <laughs> you become kind of numb to it after a while. It's like, oh. I liked him. So he's I know. I, think gonna you, die. I, I pictured like that internet meme. Your dad saying that, and then George R. R. Martin going, "You're adorable." <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Boardwalk Empire season four, absolutely top notch stuff. You know, filled with extras, uh, like all these HBO sets are, and every single detail of like what's going on with the show, uh, including a panel in New York with a bunch of actors and the directors and writers, uh, that who do a full Q and A panel after a screening of the Four Seasons fifth episode, um, who just go right into the shocking stuff that happens in that episode and great stuff. Absolutely, definitely. If you're a fan of the show already, I don't think you'll be disappointed. 
with this season. Moving on from Boardwalk Empire, we're going to talk about Rosemary's Baby. I love that movie. Oh, um, Brian. What? I mean, this is, you know, with Mia Farrow and John Cassavetes in an acting role and... Yeah. What? Um, they did a television miniseries. Oh, well, that could be something. Remake, I, I guess. Of it. I mean, The Shining one wasn't that good. But... With Zoe Saldana oh, in a lead role and Jason Isaacs as the... The those main bad the, those are actors I like. Yeah. And is there any hope for this at all? Well, it's like three hours long. No. And no, no. You know how like Rosemary's Baby is like not a lot really happens until like the last fifteen minutes or so. So they felt they needed to expand the nothing out. That's pretty much what you're oh, talking boy. about here. Um, Zoe oh, Sald- Saldana plays Rosemary. Big shocker there. Uh, with her husband. And Jason Isaacs plays the baby. No. And they go on adventures together. No, no. Rosemary's Baby's Day Out. No, the baby is Warwick Davis. No, it's not. I just, I'm awesome sorry. Without a bend. I'm sorry. A great mashup movie would be Rosemary's Baby's Day Out. Just three bumbling, uh, Gangsters are trying to catch this baby who is not only roaming around in dangerous situations, but is like possessing people. What is the devil? Is the devil? Yes. Uh, Amazing film. I gotta watch. Her husband's played by Patrick J. Adams, who I don't remember ever seeing before, but apparently. Patch Adams? Oh, he's great in, uh, oh. Mm. No more whiskey for you. No more whiskey. Uh, and they end up going to France and, uh, leaving New York City for Paris, trying to make a fresh start after they lose a baby. I don't know. Where's the baby? Fuck, I thought you knew. No, oh, they didn't lose it. They just misplaced it. No, we know where he is. He's in a grave. The ba- uh, oh, Jesus. Sorry. Wow. What? Oh. What? That's true, though. Apparently, right? we can't do the ice bucket challenge because we demand to use orphan's tears. I've already got ice in my veins. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Oof. Uh, and they meet two rich folks out of there, one of them, Jason Isaacs, who are like, no, 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 we'll take care of you. They br- they say, we own this whole big expensive building, come live here. So they do, and bit by bit, creepy stuff starts to happen, and they keep saying, oh, you should get pregnant, you should try to get, everyone's like, you should try to get pregnant again, you should try to get pregnant again, and come on, look, if you don't know what Rosemary's Baby is about by now, like the, the famous Roman Polanski film, then I don't know what to tell you, I'm gonna just say it, they want her to have a baby to be Satan, yes. okay? And it's the if you if you're not familiar with the the film, it's the second most horrifying thing that Roman Polanski's ever done. Was well, the first? Never mind. Move on. Okay. Uh, the tenant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um, Ice water. Uh, I guess the biggest problem here is a. There's no way you don't – if you're even watching this, there's no way you don't know how it's supposed to end. And part of it depends on like the the, the big lead up in the third act uh, yeah, of the second episode is her believing, oh my god, they're witches and they're going to sacrifice my baby for Satan. And you're like, bitch, calm down. It's going to be Satan. <laughs> <laughs> you're really overreacting. We're not going to kill your baby. Your baby is uh, the ultimate – dark underlord so yeah, i was gonna say like it probably is gonna work out pretty well for you overall i mean you're about he's like the boss of bosses pretty much yeah capo yeah. did 2d goat men so yeah yeah but uh, something like that something like I don't that know. I, there's just not any tension and all the deaths are seen you know they're coming so far away there's nothing unpredictable i mean the effects are what they are they're workmanlike they look fine but there's nothing in here that really has any sort of sense of supernatural horror just there's nothing scary in it. In fact, I thought it was just kind of atrocious, quite frankly. There's no reason for this to exist except that Zoe Saldana and her entire family produced this fucking movie. Uh-huh. So clearly they're fans of this movie, of the wow. original film, who were like, oh, how cool would it be now that you're a big actress? We could probably, like, produce you in a remake. Kind of makes you wonder what happened in the Zaldana family when she was young. Right? But, 
I mean, at best, you can say, hey, she is really good in it. She's giving it her all. She's not sleepwalking even a tiny bit. She is trying really hard to be amazing in this. And she is really good. Nobody else is anywhere near as good as her, which is the problem Mm -hmm. as well. It's just workmanlike. And that's about the best thing I can say about it. It's workmanlike. Rosemary's workman, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing. It's a thing. It happened. And and you should not see it unless you really have just more time to kill than you know what to do with. Or if you're just a shameless Zoe Saldana fan, you can't see, or Jason Isaacs, I guess. There you have it. Yeah. Moving on from there to something that, uh, may, I don't know. It may end up being my pick of the week. Uh, Young Justice Season 1. Oh, yeah! So, you guys talked endlessly about this Young Justice show, and you're all in love with it. Young Justice is so good. And then I said... I don't understand why you guys won't watch it. I was like, fine, I'll sit down and watch this cartoon. And you know what? I gotta tell you, Chris, it is exactly as good as you guys said it was. Mm -hmm. It is super awesome. This is, uh, literally. Um, so it is about sort of a, I guess you could call it like a sidekicks club. Uh, so it's, it's the Justice League, but like Justice League babies. Because you have, uh, Superboy, you have, uh, Kid Flash, you have Aqualad, you have, uh, Red Arrow in and out intermittently. Uh, then you have Artemis, who's Green Arrow's niece. You have Miss Martian, who's Martian Manhunter's niece. And you have Robin, uh, who have come together to form sort of their, their own, uh, Justice League. They think that they're gonna become full-fledged members in the actual Justice League. And when they get tired of kind of being put at the kids' table yet again, they're like, we're forming our own league. We're, we're going to be our own little group. And they're like, fine, we're going to send you off on the covert missions. And what I like most about this show is that it's really, like, the writing is really clever. It's absolutely, like, it's, it's more than just uh, superhero fight sequences for kids. I mean, there is some humor in this that is really aimed at kind of making fun of the medium, even. Oh, yeah. Like, there's this great joke where uh, Superboy says to Miss Martian, like, I'm sorry I don't live in your fantasy world where all your problems get solved in 30 minutes. Yeah. Which I thought was a really smart little joke about episodic superhero stories. I really enjoyed that there's clearly some, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer influence in the writing here, because there's a lot of, like, the very, the exact same sort of wordplay they would do in there. Like, there's a, like, the way they keep removing prefixes from words and saying, like, oh, I'm not overwhelmed or underwhelmed. I guess I'm just whelmed. Yeah. Like, they, they keep doing things like that. Oh, it's not disinformation. It's just, we're getting, not that, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, they, yeah. They, there's no, a lot. It's not a disaster. It's just kind of an aster. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of wordplay in this. Yeah. It's really funny. And I love how many of the Batman rogues gallery become the principal villains in this season. Because, I mean, honestly, they have all of these other, they have the Aquaman villains, which we do get Ocean Master, and they've got, you know, Flash villains, and, was it Black Manta? It was Black Manta. It was Black Manta. Yeah. Uh, I obviously don't know comic books that well. Uh, but they have all the Flash villains, the Green Arrow villains, and yet, most of the time, they're fighting people like, uh, Ra's al Ghul, they're fighting Mr. Freeze, they're fighting Clayface. You get like, to see a lot of major Bane. DC Universe villains who show up regularly, which is nice. I mean, they don't, like, sequ- like, sequester these guys off and you're like, eh, here's some half-assed villains for you to fight. Exactly. Because a lot about it, about this is about them learning to fight as a team and getting past their own shit. And they all have little secrets. Well, not Robin, because he's Robin. And he's, he's Robin. Awesome. He's awesome. I kind of wish it wasn't Dick Grayson. It's like, not. It's Tim Drake. Well, it's listed on the cast as being Dick Grayson, which oh. I thought was... Oh, unless Dick Grayson shows up at a different point. Yeah, I think he shows okay, up Okay, good. That point. makes more sense. Because, yeah, I was like, it should be Tim Drake. And then I was looking at the cast, and I'm like, why does it say he's uh, he must voice both Dick Grayson and Robin? Who yeah, is... I think that's what it is. Ah, I see. Uh, but, you know, I want to talk uh, about I the hope, cast. I hope that's true, because I'm like, I, I've been saying it's Tim Drake, and I'm like, god damn it, I could have sworn it was. 
I don't know. That will require some digging, I think. But I do like the cast here. I mean, uh, I love that Danica McKellar, who I fell in love with so hard when she was on Wonder Years as Winnie Cooper, is uh, Miss Martian. Uh, and then you have, if you run down the list, like Bruce Greenwood is doing Batman again. Uh, you have, like, Lacey Chabert is doing Zatara. Miguel Ferrer is doing uh, a voice on this. And then there's, like, a lot of, there's a lot of one-offs. Alan Tudyk is on here. Uh, Tim Curry is on here. Uh, for the record, let me say, season one that we watched, it is Dick Grayson. Apparently season two, which we've not seen yet, he has become Nightwing and ah. Tim Drake becomes Rock. So there has to be a time lapse yeah. between the two seasons. Which, god damn it, why didn't they just put it all out in one se- set? I don't right? know. Also, Odin Fur, who I really liked in the Mummy movies, is Rachel Ghoul, and I think he does a great job as that character. Um, I really enjoyed Nolan North as both su- uh, like uh, Superboy and Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, that character... And his arc with, like, wanting to be... Like, I mean, he's a clone of Superman, and he's totally freaked out about it. He has had no childhood of any kind. He just, boom, out of the out of the vat as a as a <laughs> 18-year-old, basically. And, like, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't have an identity of his own. And he's not even as powerful as Superman. Right. Because as we find out, he's only half Kryptonian. The other half is fucking Lex Luthor. What? Which Crazy. is awesome. Crazy. Uh, yeah. But I mean, like, Rob Lowe does a voice here. Like, uh, Adrian Pazdar is Hugo Strange. Dave Franco is the Riddler. Come on. Like, even the guest stars are, are pretty fantastic. Ed Asner. Ed Asner. Dr. Fate. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic all the way around. And it's, it's so much fun to watch because you do get all the battle stuff. You do get to kind of play Where's Waldo with some of your favorite, uh, characters, even like some of the minor ones Look, this that is come out of the woodworks. Teen Titans done like an actual Teen Titans comic book. Like when it was really good back in the day, the, the Teen Titans. I mean, I don't know why they didn't just call it the Teen Titans, but it's more or less what it is when it was great, just with a different lineup. Um, Zatanna ends up joining the group at one point, who's one of my favorite DC Universe magic characters. Of course, here in this version, she's just a teenager as opposed to a full-grown adult, but still really, really cool. Um, a lot of big surprises as it goes along as you find out what everybody's secrets are and whether or not they can live with it. And the whole running thing, somebody in the entire group is a mole. Somebody is working for somebody else. And... And, you know, you, there's also the mystery, who is the big bad? Because yeah. you just see them as, like, sort of lit silhouettes or, like, oh, they, everything will still come to the light. So you're like, uh, okay, there's a, there's even a red herring group where you're like, oh, it's the Injustice League, you know? <laughs> but the moment they're like, oh, the Joker's a member, I'm like, yeah, those, the, there's no way those guys are running things. <laughs> this fucking Joker has no capacity for, for long-range plans. Right. <laughs> no, I, I think this show is fantastic, and I, I really... I uh, can't wait to see where it goes from here. And I do think it's my... It surprised me so much that I think just by virtue of that, I'm going to make it my pick of the week. Oh, it's my pick of the week, too. And it's a shame because it's just season one, not season two. And, and there are no special and, features at all. And there's no special features. Yeah. But goddammit, I'm going to keep rewatching this thing. See, that's the thing is I was really conflicted because I didn't want to make my pick of the week because there are no bonuses whatsoever. But it's just fun to watch. Yeah. But I will say this. Since there are no bonuses, guys, it's on Netflix. Yeah. The entire first season streaming on Netflix. Maybe on the next one they'll put special features on it, which will make it more worthwhile to and buy it. This is 26 episodes. The next season's 20, and then that's it. And did you know that A... Oh, yeah, it got canceled. Like, all right, so the show got canceled, right? With Prejudice got canceled. It was a big hit for them. So the question is, why did they cancel it? Well, they said, well, we were really trying to do a show for the demographic of young males. And for whatever reason, this was a huge hit with young females. 
So we canceled it? So we it? canceled it and made a new show called Teen Titans Go that we thought was more directed towards men. You've got to be shitting me. Not shitting you. Cartoon Network, this is why you lost Korra. Yep. I'm just going to say that. This is why you lost... I no, just, well, that was Nickelodeon. But that's not the point. Whatever. The, the point, point is, fuck you, Cartoon Network. I mean, all I can guess is that at least their old demographic numbers say, a oh, woman just don't spend as much money as men do on like the type of stuff we'd want to sell them. And that's like, some fucking you've archaic... you've never met the geek woman I know. That, that's the thing, is that's some archaic research. If they're actually basing it on that... That is some, like, giant suspenders, cigar-chomping executive in a big boardroom archaic. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the best animated superhero shows ever made. So good. No question about it. And there's even, there's a petition going now that has over 52,000 signatures and still rising rapidly. And uh, the Cartoon, Cartoon's Network attitude the whole time NDC is like, oh, that's adorable. No. Maybe that's because that's the old 52,000 signatures. We need to get the new 52,000 signatures. Yeah. And then maybe maybe and, they'll still that, ignore it. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously DC, DC and uh, Cartoon Network weren't saying that about the, the girl thing. Paul Dini, who is the master of the DC animated universe, yeah, is the one who said it. And if he said it, I believe it. Yeah. yeah. Why would he just make that up? He... he created harlequin for fuck's sake yeah and lots of other great 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 stuff indeed yeah well moving on from young justice season one to will shatner's get a life get a life get a life will shatner thank you all right look we know you were in star trek <laughs> we're all very happy for I'm you i'm a big fan of you in star trek a lot of people have done star trek since that's great. A lot of people are trying to make a living off Star Trek. Still, I mean, there's a lot of actors who appeared in one episode who now make their entire living off going to conventions and signing stuff. It's it's great. a little sad. No, I mean, I'm like, yeah, that's good for them. I mean, good know? for them, but, you know. I, I don't have a problem with that, per se. William Shatner keeps trying now, after years of sort of rejecting all of this, or just kind of doing it like the Americans did the Americans did with the metric system. They're yeah. like, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, here it is. Okay, fine. Now yeah. he's like, oh, I'm embracing it completely. But the way he does it is so disingenuous and yeah. so like, I'm just in this to make a buck. And G William Shatner's Get a Life, this documentary that he's producing and vaguely starring in. Yeah, kind of starring in. such a blatant cash grab yeah. of something that was already done a billion times better with trekkies twice yeah trekkies and trekkies, trekkies too. too yeah so good if you want to watch a documentary about the trek fandom those movies are entertaining they're uplifting they're charming they're funny they're great this is trying so hard to hit pathos notes all the way through it mm -hmm. i mean to the point of like being like a soap opera well yeah and the editing is really terrible oh, so yeah. you get things like now we're going to introduce you to a fan who has muscular dystrophy. And all they say about him is that he has muscular dystrophy. They don't talk about how Star Trek has helped him. They just talk about the first time he watched it, and then they move on from him. And I'm like, you didn't actually do anything with this kid. Yeah, they come back to him later just to say, oh, yeah, now he's dead. And we buried him in a Star Trek uniform. I'm like, But that's not the best part. The part that I was like... Fuck you, William Shatner. Was like, they have this character, they keep showing this woman who's like, oh yeah, I'm, I've been a Star Trek fan since I was like 13 and I first saw Deep Space Nine. And like, Dax was my favorite character. I'm like, remember the da president of the Dax fan club and all this? And they keep coming back to her like they do the other people back and forth. So like, they, the people making the film found out basically she was there and were like, okay, Dax is here at this convention. Let's set up a, a surprise interview with her where we'll bring her to a room and then the actress who played Dax will be there and we'll film them doing it. So they do that 
And you're like, oh, that's cute. And then it turns into where she, the fan is like, yeah, I, I like really love this my whole life. And everything was going great until my son and my fiance died in a car accident about a year oh, ago. And you're God. like, are you fucking kidding me right now? And oh. it turns into yet again, 10 minutes of pathos of just like, look, I don't, I do, I feel bad for these people, but this whole thing is made in such a way as to tug the heartstrings in such a sort of blatant and artificial feeling way that I'm like, I don't feel like this really has anything to do with Star Trek. Yeah. Well, this it's hoping that the heartstrings are connected to the purse strings. Yeah. Is part of the issue. And the thing is, at the beginning, it's clear that Shatner is trying to have his cake and eat it too. And have you seen Shatner lately? It's more like have 12 cakes and eat them too. Because he tries to insult the Star Trek fan base. He tries to present this like, I don't really understand why they're so obsessive, blah, 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 blah. It's kind of weird. And it's like, they're the only things keeping you relevant. Well, You should be kissing the ground these people walk on, I mean, Shatner. In his defense, he's treading off the classic Saturday Night Live episode where he came on and said, like, where he was at a convention as himself and told all the fans to get a life. You're pathetic. That, you know, it's supposed to be funny. And... Nobody thought it was funny. They all went like, <laughs> fuck you. The only reason anybody gives a shit about you as an actor is because of Star Trek. Yeah. And he spent decades apologizing for that shit. Yeah. You know, decades. But not, he didn't feel bad enough to not make this documentary, which, by the yeah. way, if you watch the interviews, you might hear his voice two or three times. Yeah. I don't think he did anything but the intro and maybe a couple of the questions. And he does this stuff where it seems like he's not even really listening to whoever he's talking to. He does stuff. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That's these fans. They're so could have been ADR. They put in later. Genuine. Just say a bunch of things. Cool. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, and then they just loop it in and very. If I'm gonna pay money to see Shatner just bullshit his way through something, at least once the camera should zoom in on him and he turns slow to the camera and should say, "Spock." <laughs> <laughs> I got my money's worth. Just yeah. imagining. I would. Things. My advice here, guys, is just go watch Trekkies or Trekkies too. Yeah. Don't watch Which this. Are great. And don't watch The Captains. I saw that oh, documentary on really Netflix. Too. And apart from showing us that Captain Benjamin Sisko is, is completely insane now, <laughs> didn't really do anything. It yeah. was just like milling about kind of like this is. Nah. All right. Yeah, Shatner, what are you doing? What he's doing now? He needs to stop. He needs to get a production company of people who are actually Trekkies and writers and go, you need to come up with something that's actually going to be good for right. me to be in. I know, I, I know this is going to be a foreign concept, but Shatner needs to be in something good. He needs to be in again. something good again. again. Uh, so moving on from Get a Life, we're going to talk about Worm, which I have a funny story. In the process of my move, I lost my copy. I have no idea where the hell it went. Oh, seriously? Yeah, I was digging through everything. I, I was like, I know I got a copy. I know it's here somewhere, but I think it got thrown in the boxes with my other Blu-rays, and it's like, shit. I don't know where it is now. So tell us about Worm. Chris. Oh, so you didn't get to watch it. I didn't at get all. a chance to watch it. No. All right. So this is a very Frank Henlotter type ah, film. I know, right? I'm killing you. Damn. Like uh, the guy who did Basket Case, and even kind of has a similar start-off point with this guy who's a complete like the wormy guy, if you will. Hell. Uh He's kind of not all there. His dad owns the apartment building that he lives in, that he works as the maintenance man for. None of the neighbors, the people who live there particularly like him, but they have to call him to do stuff. And he wants, he doesn't have any friends. He thinks the people in the apartment are his friends, but they're not. They just put up with him. And he starts to kind of like 
try really hard to be friends with this one cool couple who live like right down the hallway from him. And the guy who's there is like wants is like a complete yuppie shithead, and he's like, I don't want anything to do with this dickhead. His girlfriend's a little more sympathetic towards him. It's like it's so sad that this guy's so pathetic. We really should try and like be his friend. Have you ever been in that circumstance with a girlfriend, by the way? Not yet. Yeah, just wait. <laughs> uh, now, what the worm in the question, the title is in the basic, you know, the setting for this, the plot element, is that for whatever reason, it's never explained or even insinuated why at all. But at one point, a couple of years ago, humanity stopped dreaming. Like, there are no more dreams. Nobody has dreams. There's just, wow. They just stopped having dreams. And it started freaking people out and fucking with their, like, you know, sleep cycles and, you know, it's not a good thing. So this company invented this thing that would give you dreams, but it's this very expensive thing and you can get a regular package or a premium package. And they're actually worms that you pull out and put in your ear and they crawl inside your head. And when wow. you have it, they, you, and you do one every day, night before sleep, you have, you have these really vivid, amazing dreams. And the guy in question who, who's the, the apartment building manager is like, I, I really want to get it. I can't afford it. I, I don't make any money at all. He manages to get scraped together enough for the basic and then decides it's not as good. So he starts with the one, the, the cool neighbors. He starts trading out their worms, ah. like switching the worms in their boxes so he can have the cool ones. And it's this really pathetic tale of him trying so hard to be friends with these people while they're getting worse and worse because as it's going along, it turns out that worms are eating people's brains. Who could have seen that coming? <laughs> right. It's just a creature you put in your head. Uh, and lest you think that's as far as it goes, when they make it illegal, what happens? Well, you know how drug addicts are. They'll do about anything for high. And when it tur turns out they find out that all the worms are still in people's heads who are addicted. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. I see where this is going. So it's a very low budget film, but with a lot of fun to be had. It's very, it just has that kind of offbeat oddball quality to it that makes it stand out in a way that you rarely see with independent films these days. It's a very eighties film in its own way, but there's nothing else really like it at the same time. It's not as gory as I would have liked. I felt like it needed a bit more of a punch at the end, whereas it was going a little bit more for pathos rather than punch, but it's still a pretty decent little film. I believe this is a first effort by the director, but if, uh, Doug Millette, if so, I look forward to seeing whatever he does next. Cause this is a really creative little film that was clearly done with very little money. I don't even drink tequila anymore. That's how much I'm afraid of the worm. Tequila shots. No. <laughs> Throw up in my mouth a little bit. Oh, well that was worm. No, you know what? Just because it makes sense. We're going to go from worm to Leviathan. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because it starts off as a worm monster. Do you, well, do you not remember that? Yeah, kind of. You know, the biggest disappointment of Leviathan is that, like, you're it's like, so Leviathan, there's going to be a giant sea monster. Awesome. And then, no, it's a ship underwater called Leviathan. No, there is a giant monster, though. But it's, but it's not like you expect, like, you think Leviathan is under sea monsters, under sea water thing. You think, dude, this is going to be like Loch Ness Monster times a thousand. Ah, I see. You know, like some giant fuck you yeah. sea monster. And instead, it's more like the the monster from The Thing. Yeah, it's more like the monster with, the like, trying to make as much money as the Abyss, but never, ever having a chance. Okay, I got to say this about Leviathan. This was not my, this is the latest release from Scream Factory. This was not my first time seeing this movie. Yeah. But this was the time that I really noticed how desperately and blatantly it was ripping off Alien. Oh, yeah. Like, it is entirely Alien Underwater. And The Thing. It, it's got elements of The Thing, but it's a like, lot. it's about this this crew of 
blue-collar explorers who are on a mining vessel in space, no, underwater, and they come across a derelict ship, and they go into it, and they bring, unknowingly, they bring on board their own ship, this creature, that in fact incubates itself inside one of them, and it goes, like, when you start setting the movie side by side, it's ridiculous. Like, it's all about the weird sort of, like, uh, workman dynamics between the characters, and I shit you not... Both of the black guys have almost identical bandanas that they wear at some point. Well, Yafet Koto and Ernie Hudson are wearing almost the same bandana at one point. I, Ernie Hudson does have one really great laugh out loud funny line in this, for the record. I was just like, the moment I was like, ah! Is it uh, like, when she says, You're, it's going to hell? And he's like, bitch, we're already bitch, here. we're already here. <laughs> in that great Ernie Hudson way. But, you know, it's like that, that dividing point there is where it becomes the thing. After yes. that, where it's like, oh, okay, well, it also, you don't know who's infected, and they start mutating out in really weird and strange ways out of their bodies. Right. Uh, and it, it is very much an infection. And the effects, the physical effects look great. I mean, it's well, Stan, Stan Winston, Winston Studios. Yeah. In fact, there's still a lot of... The, Stan Winston was terrified when he took this movie, which was very much a sort of like, I want to do my own, I want to do something that I'm much more in charge with, because he was offered the abyss and stepped back to do Leviathan instead. Oh boy. And he was terrified that Cameron was going to be pissed and never want to work with him again, especially after Leviathan was not really a hit. Um, and as it turned out, Cameron was like, no, it's whatever. Why would I care? I understand right. it's business. And it continued to do all his other films with Stan Winston after that. But Winston's effects are great. The monster looks cool, at least until maybe the very end. Yeah. Like, when you see the full on, here's a monster walking, you're like, yeah, that kind of looks like shit. Yeah. But- and and it's it's also sad because it's got an amazing cast. I mean, you got oh, Peter yeah. Weller, you got Richard Crenna, you got Daniel Stern, Ernie Hudson, Hector Elizondo, Meg Foster, who is a staple of 80s films, things yeah. like They Live and Masters of the Universe. Like the eyes, man. Yeah, the the, eyes. those eyes. You Holy will never, never forget those eyes. So it's got a great cast. It's directed by George P. Uh, Cosmo who did fucking uh, First Blood and Tombstone. I mean, this is this is a great director, but the movie so desperately wants to be alien that I feel like it is more focused on capturing that than it is like paying attention to its own story and whether it makes any fucking sense. You know, here's why that didn't bother me as much. Because there are 400 other films that came out around the same time that also desperately wanted to be Alien, and this is better than most of them. Right, but it's like, when that's your main focus, and you have what should be a solid story that you can work with, and instead you spend all your time trying to ape the tropes of Alien, instead of writing a decent script with this cast and this director, should have, if if the script, I think if the script was better, this would be a, a pretty amazing film See, the thing is i think this has like other than the fact that it is pretty much a rewrite of alien under underwater and once again i've seen so many films that are just a rewrite of alien some of which are also fun usually directed by roger corman or one of his cronies uh that doesn't really bother me i thought the script was actually kind of fun until the third act where it's just like okay you're just trying to get through this at this point and figure out where to go and there's some yeah. really corny shit at the very end well peter weller who we both really like I feel like either the dialogue he's given or the direction he was given, he's so dishwater in this movie. He's like, he delivers his line. He just, they just kind of come out as like verbal farts. It's just like, here's, here's my line. It was like, is that a joke? Did you tell a joke? What was that? What sound did you just make? I, and I love Peter Weller, but like his character in this is so, so white bread and so middle of the road that it's like, this is our hero. Really? Well, if nothing else, it's better than Deep Star 6, which came out the same year. <laughs> uh, yeah, Deep Star 6, Leviathan, The Abyss, 
all the same year. So congratulations, movies, for giving us, uh, you know, I don't know what it was about 1989 or the late 80s, but people got really fascinated with what was going on underwater. So I guess we can say thank you for that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, there are some, there's some fun stuff in this. And again, I think a lot of it has to do with the cast, but it's just, it's just kind of blah for most of it. And, uh, I, and I'm, uh, it's disappointing because, you know, even when I don't like the films that, uh, that Scream Factory puts out, usually they're at least fun. And I stopped having fun after a while. I still had fun with this. I obviously liked this better than you did. Yeah. And it's very obvious why this is not considered a enduring classic or anything. Right. But I, found this a lot more fun than a lot of the Scream Factory releases that we get, where I'm like, okay, it's got enough good stuff that I say it's worth watching. This one, more than not, I enjoyed this most of the way through. And a lot of that had to do with the fun cast. I didn't think Peter Weller was as milquetoast as you say he was. Milquetoast. I just... I'm just hungry. Yeah, right? (laughs) I will say the transfer is really good. Yeah, it looks terrific. The transfer was... Like I said, I really enjoyed the monster. I thought the monster is cool looking until they actually make him a standalone monster. And then it's like, okay, you just kind of look like a... I've I've eaten you at a Chinese restaurant. (laughs) I think it was a sushi restaurant, but The weirdest thing is like I watched... As got as far as I could into the, the Ernie Hudson no, interview. No, 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 the making of oh, okay. Monster Melting Pot, and it is the most dry, dull. Like, oh, for fuck's sakes, can you hurry this along? It's like they were talking to all Stan Winston's interns. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, what? I'm like, and every and they keep re- saying the same shit. Like, oh, let's go to another guy who's going to tell the same fucking story. <laughs> uh, like, oh my god. Uh, but yeah, there's a 15 minute interview with Ernie Hudson, and there's a tw- uh, 12 minute interview with Hector Elizondo. Also has a role in here so i mean i i think this is still very much worth checking out oh it's worth checking out for sure not a classic no not by any stretch of the imagination so it's time for the mid-show shot mid-show shot delicious Uh, (sighs) and now we'll be funny oh is that what we were supposed to be doing the whole time yeah didn't you get the note oh shit my bad guys my bad that one's on me mulligan mulligan we're gonna start over (laughs) welcome to digital noise Moving on from Leviathan, we're going to talk to talk about Fading Gigolo. He's fading away. No, into a oh, I love movie. ghost movies. Right? In a parallel dimension where John Turturro is uh, fucking both Sharon Stone and Sofia Vergara. That's a parallel universe that if I was John Turturro, I would want to be in. Yeah. Oh, wait, look. He, he directed it. Oh, look at that. So... Who says people just want to direct so they can fuck starlets? Does it say casting by as well? I don't know. So, um, you know, I, I, this is a very funny like premise that never tries to make itself even mildly plausible. And no. that's its biggest problem. The idea here is that Woody Allen Murray uh, is a small bookstore owner that is going out of business because, well... Sorry, that's what's happening to bookstores all over the place. Because of the interwebs, I tell you. Where John DeTuro, longtime friend of his, uh, who was helping him with it, and it's like, he uh, works at a flower shop as well, and he's like, I don't know what we're going to do now. But Woody Allen's like, like has a, a doctor, played by Sharon Stone, who, for whatever reason, I'm never clear how this conversation could have ever happened, but is like, oh, I would love to get into a menage a trois with my friend, but I don't know who we could trust. We're yeah, because there. the person you can vibe that little nugget with is Woody, Woody Allen. Allen. Right, well, I mean, if you talk about somebody who's safe, because even Woody <laughs> Allen would know, well, she ain't 
talking to me because she's thinking of me for it. <laughs> like, there's no way she was thinking of me. Not even sure person. how this conversation got started. Uh, even in the 70s, he would have known. Right. You know? Um, and but luckily, here comes Stud Muffin John Turturro. Murray's like, okay, uh, I, I have this friend who I think would be great. And he kind of like, he really forces his buddy John Turturro, who's a very quiet, taciturn man into this position of being like a stud for hire yeah. with these women. And as it goes along, it's like, okay, he's doing it. He's making these women happy. But then for reasons that I'm not clear on at all, Woody Allen has like this woman who he kind of knows who is the widow of a rabbi who he's like, Oh, you need to get back out there into life. You need to do stuff. And it's like, like he's trying to figure out a way to talk her into using him as a gigolo, which seems like the like really the wife of a rabbi a widow of a rabbi you really think you got a shot at this well one? apparently he thought he was on the show <laughs> uh and then you know he just goes in and acts as like a massage therapist to her so why he knows anything about massage i don't know at all and maybe you can clear this up for me because i watched this movie but maybe i missed this part her husband that died wasn't abusive right no okay so why does she go into hysterics like not like not like catharsis, but almost like uh, some repressed memory has come out when he gives her a massage. And she's oh. like, no one's touched me. And it's like, I get that that's a very meaningful thing. I get it. Oh. But it's the, her reaction isn't like, oh, I'm so happy I, you know, this has finally happened. It's like, it's like she's been abused well, or no, something. It's more of a Hasidic culture thing that like, literally you would, not, you, don't, you, you would not touch a woman that was single like that. You would not touch her at all, you know? Um, you don't see her with her hair down, you know. It's It's been years since her husband died, and she has literally had no physical contact with another human being in all that time. And, I mean, there have been studies on this sort of thing and say we actually need to touch other people. Right. We physically need it. Um, and I think that's what they're getting with, like, it's just so shocking to her to be touched at all, much less in such an intimate fashion. Yeah. Um, but... It doesn't really work, that whole part of the story, and there's like a whole, like, oh, he's kind of falling in love with her, but that absolutely serves no purpose yeah. whatsoever. It's like the movie suddenly changed and wanted to be about this woman and not Woody Allen and John Turturro. I, I think my biggest problem with this movie is it's clear that John Turturro is fine at directing, but he can't direct himself. Nope. His, 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 deten his attention is very much divided to the point that he is one of the most passive protagonists I've ever seen in a film. He doesn't really seem to have any character arc. No. He doesn't really do any... I mean, like, it's not that he doesn't do anything, but, like, nothing seems to affect him that much, and yet you have other characters telling us, the audience, that they see changes in him nope. that we can't see. Nobody in this film, including John Turturro, is interesting at all. They all feel like they might have their own movie somewhere in the background. Like, this is just the movie that's touching on a bunch of other people's movies. Mm-hmm where we only know five minutes worth of information about all of them, but not enough to make them very interesting. Woody Allen included, who's just a caricature of Woody Allen pretty much here, just not as funny as usual. I was going to say, he's been playing a character of Woody Allen for quite some time. Right, but, but you know what I mean. Not as well here. A lot of times, well. even when people use him, and when he's been in other people's films, he's still pretty much doing a very funny Woody Allen is Woody Allen bit. And here, he's playing that character, but it's not written that funny. You're like, mm -hmm. okay, it's just... It's supposed to be funny. It's just not. And you think maybe it's going to be sexy. Like, wow, it's going to be a three-way with Turturro, Sofia Vergara, and Sharon Stone. And he opens the door, and and both of them are in lingerie, just, like, cuddling with each other, Vergara and Stone. It's like, this should be really sexy. But even the sex scene, like, Turturro 
looks like <laughs> looks like he's a thousand miles away, and I'm like, dude, head in the game, come on. Yeah, uh, it's also got this weird sideline with Liev Schreiber as like a Hasidic policeman <laughs> uh, who who is like. They're only to give a conclusion to the the, the rabbi's wife storyline, but in a sort of like, you know, we just introduced this character because we had no other, couldn't figure out any other way to wrap the story up. Yeah. Other than, let's go back and write him into that, and then we've got a way to re- finish her story. Yeah. I just, I thought this was a really weak script. Yeah, it's it's a very, it's a very passable film, I guess. Yeah. But that's the best I can say about it. Yeah. It's, it's I can't recommend average. I can't recommend it to anybody. And it, I was excited about seeing it. I thought the trailer looked great. And uh yeah. Well this and this this kind of story's been done so many times where it's like, I I never thought about being a gigolo. Oh now I'm a gigolo. Oh I have too much heart to be a gigolo and just have sex yeah. with women for money. That's been done. It's been done so many times and seeing John Turturro as the hooker with a heart of gold doesn't change that story one bit. Well, he puts it's almost like he doesn't want to be there the whole movie. Yeah, and we're not just know? talking about he doesn't want to be with these women. It's like right. Turturro himself doesn't want to be in his Feels own movie. Feels like he does, like he was blackmailed into being into his own movie. <laughs> I was like, what is if you don't want to be here, just get somebody else. Right. So, I don't know. Now, I got to say uh, pull a skip on uh, Fading Gigolo. It's Absolutely. already fading from my memory. There you go. Moving on from that to what would have been my pick of the week if not for Young Justice, and that is The Sacrament. The Sacrament. Which has just hit Blu-ray thanks to Magnolia. Now, The Sacrament is the latest Ty West film. Ty West is a filmmaker you've probably heard us talk about a lot uh, with movies like uh, House of the Devil and then, of course, uh, The Innkeepers. Loved it. Uh, A pair of really great, really interesting horror films, and then he also appeared as a character in Your Next. Uh, So we've been talking about Ty West a lot. All that being said, this is so far his masterpiece. I, I think this is his best film by far. Oh, yeah. I really fully agree with you there. This is a film that is sort of a play on, uh, if you guys have ever seen any uh, of those reports filed by Vice, uh, where they, you know, they go into these, these areas and they kind of do these immersive type journalistic, uh, stories. This is a, a play on that where you have this guy who is going to, uh, a, a community in Africa that it was started by this sort of, He's not really he's not really a preacher, but he's sort of a Southern Baptist uh type character, this very sort of uh uh Jim Jones type character. Yeah, I mean literally based on Jim Jones. Literally based Even on where Jim his Jones. last name is Jones. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. So he forms his own Jonestown, and one of the characters in the movie, his sister has kind of fallen under the spell of the new uh Jim Jones and is living in this compound and he's trying to get this company or this uh these journalists to go out there with him to prove it's a sham and we're going to bring her home and um so they cor- they kind of have a, a they're invited there as guests but they do kind of have a, a an ulterior motive and it's just to get her out but what happens while they're there is sort of uh the crux of the story and yes it is a found footage film but I feel like the difference between good found footage and bad found footage is how well they establish the reason why people are there filming in the first place. If it's just some douchebag got a camera for his birthday, that doesn't work for me. Right. If you have actual journalists who are specifically in a region to cover something, and not only that, but they, they base this on vice who are people that have been in war-torn areas. They've been uh, in areas run by cartels. Like These are fearless journalists. And you have the wonderful A.J. Bowen. Love A.J. Playing one of the journalists. And then uh, Joe Swanberg, who I actually heard recently talking about uh, – like is films he's in as opposed to films he directs. He's like, wow, I always get cast in films I would never, ever make. 
(laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was funny. But, um, yeah, as the two. And they're a great team. They've worked together before on a number of films. And this is really sort of this perfect storm of the new, this next wave of horror directors and actors coming together and really creating a very mature piece that doesn't function really so mu- as a horror movie so much as just like like a shock film and sort of a thrilling drama yeah you know like, like it's a, a drama that like it's almost like something like um god what was that movie we were reviewing by william friedkin uh, uh killer joe no the one like uh came out on blu-ray recently that was oh sorcerer sorcerer it's yeah. like something like sorcerer where it says drama that keeps getting more disturbing as it goes along you know what we're, and we're ends in we're this, tap dancing like, around the word it's suspense it's a suspense yeah, it's a film. suspense film yeah yeah it absolutely is and I, and I think that's what i love about it the most is that it doesn't really function as a horror film it just creates a very tense scenario that you are are you're thrown in right along with the characters and you spend the rest of the movie wondering one if you're going to get out and two what's you know what's going to happen to bring the situation to a to a resolution or to a really unfortunate end and it's so dark yeah it's very dark and it starts off kind of lighthearted as you're really with these journalists you're like Come on, it's fucking cult members like this stuff. Let's get, just get her out of here one way or the other. Like, we'll film as much as we need to, but clearly this guy, this is, is full shit. And they're kind of laughing at it all. But, mm-hmm. you know, the more it goes on, the less they're laughing and the more they're like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and, and major props to Gene Jones, who plays uh, Father, who's sort of the cult leader here. Yeah. So he's perfect. He is the per- – like, because he's charming at first. You actually do like him a lot, and you can see how people would kind of – would kind of be swayed by him, but he's also a coiled snake, and you know at any moment he can strike, and he's got all these people that are willing to do whatever he says, and it is it is terrifying on a very human, uh, primal level. Yeah, this is, I think, really top-notch stuff. Uh, thank you to Magnolia for picking this up. Absolutely. Because it's one of those films, when I saw it, I'm like, God, I hope this gets a distributor, because it's one of those movies a lot of co- people are going to see it and go... I don't really know what to make of this. Right. You know, it's very upsetting. Upsetting absolutely is the word for this. Yeah. So, but it, that doesn't mean it's not good. This is upsetting in the, the perfect way that word was used in the seventies. Yeah. It's, it's everything that's upsetting about it. Every moment of tension, every shock, every thrill is all earned. It's not exploitation. It's not like the torture porn era of horror was like, yeah, it will shock you, but it's, you know, it was a fleeting thing. It was literally like somebody coming up behind you with a cattle prod and giving you a, a jolt. No, this is something that's going to like your your blood is going to run cold. Like it, it's just it's really disturbing, but in a way that really will start a dialogue that I think needs to happen anyway. And it's, you know, kind of about the nature of conformity and, and how easily people can be swayed and what people are willing to do. Sheep, you're all sheep. You're all sheep, all of you. This is a good movie. I really, really like this And they movie. even, unlike a lot of little indie films like this, packed it with extras. There's commentary with Ty West and A.J. Bone and Amy Simons. There is a 21-minute of uh, creating the sacrament, using interviews with cast, crew, director, and producers. There is a thing specifically about Ty West. Uh, there is a whole thing behind the helicopter sequences in this, uh, the big helicopter scene. A lot of good stuff here. Well worth your money to actually own as opposed to just rent. So, Check this yeah, movie Yeah, this out. was this close to pick of the week. Yeah. This close. If we had a, a, a TV show pick of the week and a movie pick of the week, this, this would, would be the, the movie, movie pick, pick of the week. week. Yeah. 
Now we're going to talk about some stuff that we got but didn't watch. Maybe we saw some other time. Here's the other stuff. We should have a new song for that. Yeah, we should. Here's the other stuff. I, I have one I use on the, enough to watch. on the sports show where it's like the other news stories I don't want to talk about as much. And I just call it And the Rest. And the Rest. And then I and I play that, that, that thing from Gilligan's Island where it's like, And the rest are here on Gilligan's Island. Planet. So you can kind of imagine that that happened and I didn't just sing it. Uh, Revolution Season 2 is what we're going to start with. I don't even know what the hell this is, so Chris, take it away. Well, okay, Revolution is this TV show. You are aware this is a thing called television. <laughs> and on that shows. thing, they, they show shows, right? Uh, uh, it, it has now been canceled. It was on NBC. It's an Eric Kripke show, which was uh, the creator of uh, Supernatural, which is the main reason it interests me, because I'm a huge, huge Supernatural geek. Except it's not that good. Sorry. <laughs> it's just not that good. The idea being is that something happened that all the power in the world just shut off. Just shut off and there's no way to turn it back on. No one's Xboxes work anymore. Like they're like the laws of physics have changed. Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. Things that generated power no longer generate power. Even though conveniently enough guns still work. You know? I'm like, wait, guns worked, but you can't make a rudimentary car? I don't understand. Again, I, this is actually so apropos to Gilligan's Island. You can make a fucking radio out of a coconut. You can't fix a hole in the goddamn boat. You can't fix a hole in the goddamn script. That's the problem. <laughs> and there's a lot of them. And it's got this, like, all right, so I really like Billy Burke. I genuinely do. Yes, he was the father on Twilight. But he's also been in a lot of good stuff before. And he's kind of playing the ultimate badass guy here who's leading a group of ragtag people across the country to uh, <laughs> and I've only watched like maybe half the first season and okay. it's been a slog getting through it like oh my god this is like television 20 years ago holy shit like it's supposed to be post-apocalyptic but everybody's too clean and like I mean like are you you need to be caked in mud you need to look like the feral kid from Road Warrior. I don't know. It's there's an evil organization that's popped up that wants to be fascist and take and start in that's anti-American. Like they they anytime they see American flag, they'll kill everybody who's anywhere near the thing. And like the guy who's running it, who's like their leader, Monroe, is the used to be best friends with the main character here. And so it does a lot of the sort of like lost flashback thing where it's like, you know, Oh wait, now let's look at 15 years ago when this all started and what happened with each character. And you know what? I just don't give a shit about any of these characters. <laughs> now, admittedly only halfway through the first season, maybe it got a lot better, but I doubt it because it was canceled by NBC already. Uh -oh. So the second season is out for the record. I did not get a chance to watch it. I did try to get all the way through the first season as fast as I could, but there was just too much stuff to watch this past week. So I wasn't able to do it. Um, I, you know, it is what it is. If you like Revolution, the second season's out now on Blu-ray and DVD. There it is. All right. Yeah. Moving on to uh, the Mindy Project season two. Now you, you know more about this than I do. I well, only by virtue season. of the fact that I saw the first season, I did not get sent, nor did I watch any of the second season. I liked generally the the uh, the Mindy Project. I think Mindy Kaling's very funny. You're the biggest uh, fan in the world of it, aren't you? I, I don't know that that's even like, biggest I feel, fan in the world. I feel like Brian. I would be doing a disservice to the real fans to call myself that. Uh, and I think Ike Barinholtz, who uh, who plays the character uh, Morgan on the show, is really hilarious. And I think uh, it's a situation where there's some really there's some really good uh, character stuff, some good dialogue. It did kind of bum me out how much they were talking about 
there were so many jokes written in about Mindy Kaling being fat. I don't really think she's fat. So yeah, I, I remember you saying that. Yeah, it was. It kind of took me out of it, but I, there was a lot of funny moments. Um, I ended up kind of not watching this anymore because I got I got hooked on the new girl, and then the new girl kind of went south on me. So it's like I've kind of been in, in a limbo with this type of comedy. Uh, but, you should watch old episodes of Seinfeld. It's great. Or yeah, Friends. I'll watch Friends. Uh, but mm. <laughs> that's right. So I don't really know what to say about season two because I haven't seen any of it. I didn't Timothy Oliphant plays a skateboarder who dates her. There you go. Done. I can't watch, watch just that episode. Watch season two because Timothy Oliphant plays a skateboarder. That's literally all I can tell you I, about that, this. That is enough to sell me on wanting to see it. Fair enough. Yeah. And we're going to wrap this up with something I did actually see and really like, and that's Parks and Rec season six. Now, there is going to be a season seven, and by all accounts, it will be the last season yeah, of Parks and Recreation. everyone is pretty much leaving the show at this yes, point anyway. Absolutely. Um, so Parks and Rec season six starts off with one of the funniest episodes I have ever seen, and I go back to and watch over and over again. It's the one where they're in London, because Andy Dwyer in London Spoiler alert, is even funnier than Andy Dwyer in Indiana. Or outer space. Or outer, well, eh, let's not go crazy. Uh, but yeah, it's, this season is, is packed with some really fun episodes and then ends in such a way. It's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Everybody making this show knew that there was going to be another season after this, but it's almost like they knew that that season could go really wrong and could be a situation where it's like, oh, what if, what if that season is so bad that we can't end it the right way? So the end of season six, you could stop watching the show forever at the end of the season and be so satisfied. It wraps up the show. Like, it gives the show an ending. And yet they know there's going to be another one. So the, it is almost like they went, in case season seven sucks, here's a at great ending. At least it ended this way. Here's a great ending for the entire series. We're going to stick on to the end of the penultimate season. So I really like that about it. Um and yeah, it's just it's a really really fun season that starts with such a bang when uh, Andy runs into sort of the British version of Andy who works in the British government, played by Peter Serafinowicz, oh, which that's is funny because awesome. the two of them end up in Guardians of the Galaxy. That's true, yeah. Uh, and then there's a great, uh, I think there's, I, I hope it's on this. There's a special feature. It was sort of a a thing they did for promos. It was like Andy Dwyer in at Stonehenge, uh -huh. and he's listing off all these facts about Stonehenge that are completely wrong, <laughs> and he's like. Uh, some people think it was built by aliens. There's no evidence for that, but yes, that's exactly what happened. Uh, it's one of the eight wonders of the world, and the other ones are, and he starts listing things like the Super Bowl and like Rocky II and like all these things. Like he keeps calling it Stonehenge, first of all, and then he goes, and then there's something called Stonehenge. This is Stonehenge, but Stonehenge is one of them. So it's it's a really really funny season. He's uh, right about Rocky II, though. He is very much right about Rocky II. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I think this is a great season, and I think it's a really weird thing that it ends the way it ends, but I also loved that ending so much that I don't even really care if season seven blows. Like, yeah. I, I could, like, honestly, as much as I like it, I'm like, I don't really even need you to... Fuck it. I don't even need you to do a seventh season, because you gave me the ending I always wanted. Now, of course, I believe this is also the season where, uh, yeah, this is the season where Rashida Jones and Rob Lowe leave the show. Right. And that was heartbreaking. It really was. Because they're, they're such a... You don't understand how great an ensemble comedy is until you lose two people you didn't think you would miss as much as the headliners. But when they left, it was like, oh, man, like that that hurt. I mean, they keep the show funny, but it hurt when they left. Right. So I got to give I got to give them props for that. What are they doing? What else are they doing? I mean, Rob Lowe is not exactly 
a hot property anymore. You I know? don't know, man. He always does this sh- shit where he'll get big briefly off a television show, and then he'll leave to much fanfare, and then not shit happens until he gets cast on another television show. Man, you show are not giving him late. any slack for that West Wing thing, I'm not. You? I will never give him slack for that. <laughs> I, was, I was like, you know what? You broke my heart, Rob. You broke my heart. <laughs> I know it was you, Roblo. You broke my heart. All right, we're going to end the show with the title that's also going to be our giveaway. And I didn't get a chance to see this, uh, but Chris tells me that it's our giveaway. It is, and it is actually quite good as well. The this Railway Man. Called the Railway Man. It is based on a best-selling autobiography of the same name, which means it's for reals. <laughs> for the truth stories. Uh, and it stars Colin Firth as Eric Lomax, who is a British officer who in the beginning we see, you know, he's an older gentleman played at, at you know, there's two different actors who play him. A younger guy plays him as at, during World War II. But he's now like he's he's kind of obsessed with trains and he rides trains all the time and he meets a, a kind of a, a very restrained Nicole Kidman. And by that, I mean, they're not trying to make her, they put her in a straight jacket. Well, they're not trying, no, not like that. They're not, they're not trying to make her super glamorous. She's just kind of a normal, looks like a normal woman and they fall in love and they have kind of a little romantic meet cute and what have you. And he decides he's going to chase after her. They get married and you're like, okay, that's great and all, but where is this film going? And on their honeymoon night, he suddenly falls into a trance and starts screaming on the floor and hallucinating. And you're like, ah, did not see that coming. Um, the reason is, is because apparently he was one of those Brits who was captured by the Japanese in Singapore and was sent to a Japanese POW camp. Now, those are just basically hotels, right? A lot of people, when, you know, when we think about World War II and the horrible shit that happened, we think about, you know, uh, obviously the Holocaust and how terrible that was for all the people, the Germans in prison. The Japanese were a giant bag of dicks during World War II as well. <laughs> they completely did some of the worst, most horrific shit to, to British and American soldiers over, over in the Pacific. Um, like even like some of the really elaborate medical experiment stories you hear were actually stuff that the Japanese were doing. Huh. Um, but he was one of the soldiers who was captured and put through a ton of really horrible shit working on the Thai Burma railway. Uh, there's an interesting story in here where he says, you know, the British were at one point looking into and doing all the investigation into doing a railway there through, through Burma and Thailand. And they stopped and his friends like, well, why did they stop? They're like the greatest railway builders in the world next to possibly the Americans. And he said, well, because they looked at everything that was involved and they said it would be inhumane and cruel to build this railway because to make it wouldn't involve like, you know, inexpensive labor. It would involve thousands and thousands of slaves that would basically die along wow. the way of building this fucking thing. Um, and that's exactly what the Japanese did with their prisoners of war. And so basically the plot here is him, like he can't deal with it. He's just having all these flashbacks. He's retreating inside himself and his wife is like, no, that's not good enough. This is not going to work. I just married your ass. We are going to find a way to make this work. And what it comes down to is him going back to uh, Japan and finding the guy who was one of the lead torturers and confronting him. Huh. Which is like, oh. That's a thing that is probably 
fucked up. <laughs> uh, Hiroyuki Sonata, who people probably know a lot from Lost, who played one of the big Japanese research, one of the big researchers at the, I can't remember. Anything. Oh, he was, uh, yeah, I remember him. He was the one in the video that was telling them, like, here's how you push in to reset the counter. Exactly. He is the guy, the older version of the guy. And the thing about this movie is you're not really sure where it's going at first. You're like, okay, it's Colin Firth, who's one of the great actors. Nicole Kidman is wonderful and restrained. Stellan Skarsgård has a smaller role in here as, as uh, Colin Firth's best friend and a former soldier there as well. But once it starts getting into the flashbacks and we see what was actually happening to them, we start to get really involved. And once we get into the sequence where it's clear Colin Firth is going to go out there and exact his revenge... It gets really intense, and not in an action movie sort of way, in an emotional way. Honestly, I felt incredibly moved by this film, and it is not for people who are expecting a revenge film, ultimately. It's not that kind of movie. It's... I like this movie as a secular humanist is how I like ah, it. Okay. Really enjoyed it on that level. And it, it, even more so that it's all a true story, which they really emphasize in the very final credits was showing you like real pictures and stuff. I thought this was a wonderful little film understated compared to like a lot, the way a lot of people would have made this film. They would have made it a little more blustery, a little more triacly. I think this is just the right amount of emotion in it. And yeah, really recommend this. And it is our giveaway this week. Giveaway, and here's how you can win. First thing you got to do is follow one of us.net on Twitter. That's at one of us. Now. I don't know, I'm still doing my 30s radio voice. But go ahead and follow at one of us.net on the Twitters. And then what you're going to do is you're going to tweet at us. And this week's prompt is Tell us the funniest thing about war atrocities. I was going to say, if someone were to write an autobiography, if you were to write an autobiography about your life, what would the title of that autobiography be? Sure. So. Go ahead and put that title, hashtag it, Railway Man Giveaway. We'll pick our favorite, and that person will win a copy, open to U.S. residential. Well, that's going to do it. We're done. Are Goodbye. We? Is there nothing else? We nope. have more questions? No. Nope, we have nothing. more whiskey? Well, we have plenty more whiskey, but Hell yeah. this is just going to devolve into, well, exactly what the last 90 minutes have been if we keep drinking. Let's just so. record the next digital noise now without having seen any of the movies. I love it. Let's do like, it. This is some shit that's coming out or something. I don't know. It's got that dude from that one thing. Yeah, and that other guy yeah. who was in that movie. With that the, girl. With the explosions. The girl that time took her top off when she was like 19 in that movie. Yeah, you remember that? totally. You need oh, more cats. That's awesome. Anyway, uh, have enough cats in it. <laughs> this is the end of the show. You can follow this show at Digi Noisecast on Twitter. You can follow the website at One of Us Net, or you can follow us individually. I'm at Bry Guy Salisbury. I'm at Chris Cox Critic. And you can also like the website on Facebook, facebook.com slash uh, One of Us Net. And I want to give an update. We are still running our GoFundMe campaign for our fan Eli, who uh, has run into some hard times. I do want to give you guys an update. Thanks to your generous donations, uh, Eli, who was facing homelessness, was able to put a down payment on an apartment. Uh, which nice. is super awesome, and I want to thank you guys so much for that. And we are still running that campaign just to see if we can uh, help out with some bills. So if you got a few extra dimes to spare, please know you're giving to a good cause. We're just sending it directly to Eli so uh, so that he can get back on his feet. And and I know he has been so so like overwhelmingly appreciative and uh, or, or whelmedly appreciated. Uh, if you take the discussion, we should do like justice. the fire bucket challenge or something. We like should do that. The, dump a bucket of fire yeah, on yourself. I like it. Or donate some money to Eli. So we're still running that. You'll still find that link at the bottom of the page. Just wanted to throw that out there. But that's it for this week. So until next time, I just want to remind you once again that no release is too big, no release is too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe, we review them all. Spa. Maybe not them all. Not the mall. We don't review them all. 
This mall was lame. The yep. food court was not tasty at all. Not enough cookie places. <laughs>